0: You're listening to Essay Talk, San Antonio's favorite podcast for discussions involving the Alamo City. I'm your host and favorite retirement advisor, Zachary Espediqueta. Today's Friday, September 10th, and this week I'll be having Katie White, VP of Development at Family Service, joining me on the podcast. Family Service is a nonprofit organization here in San Antonio whose mission is to empower individuals and families to transform their lives and strengthen their communities. They're actually the oldest human service nonprofit here in San Antonio. Now, I'm not going to go too deep into a description for family service just because, number one, I'm planning on interviewing CEO Mary Garr of Family Service at some point in the near future on my Searching for San Antonio series. And number two, because this episode with Katie White is focused on the discussion surrounding volunteerism, community support, fundraising, and how we can be better at all three. Now, throughout our conversation, Katie and I will talk about some of our own experiences. She obviously has much more experience than I do. Um, And we'll also talk about what we think leads to some people maybe not volunteering or donating their time or money or giving back to the community and how we can change that as a society. Now, Katie is actually a musician turned nonprofit fundraiser. And even though she's a native of Birmingham, Alabama, she now proudly calls San Antonio home. Katie has more than 12 years of nonprofit professional experience and is an expert in nonprofit fundraising, donor cultivation, donor portfolio management, grant writing, event management, strategic planning, and marketing. She is devoted to creating a city that is strong for everyone. And with that goal in mind, is highly engaged in the nonprofit community as a board member, volunteer, and community advocate. So with that said, let's get right into my discussion with Katie White. Well, Katie, I appreciate you joining me on Essay Talk. I'm really glad to have you here. I know you said you listened to a couple episodes before, so I'm excited to have you on to talk about how we can help in the community. Um, I've usually found that it's good to let the guests kind of introduce themselves, talk a little bit about your role. I know you're with Family Service here in San Antonio and how
1: you got to that role. Perfect. Well, first of all, it's an honor to be here. I love chatting with Essay Talk and I think podcasts are just a great way to have authentic, good conversations with Different folk, you know, and you know, we all have our experiences and our stories. And I think podcasting is this really wonderful medium for highlighting all of that. But as far as who I am, my name is Katie White, I'm the vice president of development and donor engagement for family service. I've been fundraising for the past 12 years, so since I was 18 years old, <laughs> that was when I ran my first fundraiser that was back at the University of Alabama at the Community Music School. Uh, that was, it feels like, you know, fundraising years, we joke about it in fundraising uh, circles, they're like kind of like dog years, and so it's, been, you know, <laughs> almost you know, 45 years that I've been doing this now. Um, But I really love what I do and I love San Antonio. So it's actually my chosen home. I moved here for a job with the San Antonio Symphony many years ago and chose to stay here. And it's something that I'm very passionate about. I think San Antonio is a wonderful city. I think we have so many great people here, so many up and coming Stars. Um, obviously, we have the Spurs here, so and tacos. So I don't know if we really need anything else in life, but <laughs> beyond that, we have just a, a really wonderful, robust community that's full of culture and really kindness for one another. And I think when you have all of those things, you really do create a space where people want to call home.
0: What got you into the nonprofit industry? Like, why nonprofits? Why have you stuck with you know working with a nonprofit?
1: Well, you know, I think uh, you just fall in love with it, and it's a career that kind of chooses you. I think every fundraiser just falls into it I think it's something that you either love it a lot and you want to do it for the rest of your life or you, if you hate it you're just not going to do it at all and I think you know by the time you get to where I am you've pretty much figured that out If you like you really want to stick with this or you really just don't care for it but you know for me someone asked me a, a week or two ago what about the fundraising co- like competitiveness that I like so much because I do think fundraisers are a little inherently competitive, and they asked me if I really like to win or if I really love the mission, and I thought that was such a weird juxtaposition because fundraisers love to win for our missions. We want to win the grant, the funding, whatever we're doing. We want to win community support. We want to bring people closer to our mission and impact because we know that it's going to best serve our community, so it's kind of a couple of things. I love the joy and the pursuit of getting to know people, getting this beautiful, altruistic moment where you see someone light up and you see them start to see their own power and who they are and what they bring to the table when they engage with others. And it's this beautiful moment when they see like, oh, I can affect real change. I can make something really beautiful happen in my community. I can help like all of these things that you find when you are empowered yourself, but also when you're connected to a community around you of people who want to do the exact same. So I love it for a variety of reasons. I love the community. I love the people who make it possible. I love the wild and crazy times that sometimes fundraising can bring. You know, some days I have no idea. Like I know what I'm doing every day, but some days it's it could be, like last week we were doing a cheer with Valero. And then the day before we were working with Telemundo and doing a spot with them. And we were like, it can really run the gamut. And so, for me, I I love it because it's creative. It's always changing. There's always something new and someone new to engage. And so long as you can do that authentically and with a passion for what you do and a mission you really love, like I do at family service, I think you can go anywhere. But that's why I love fundraising. But I really do think anyone can be a fundraiser. I don't think it's a select skill set or something that we're just blessed with the inherent power to do. I really think anyone can be that because we all believe in some part of our own story that makes us want to engage with others and make some effects and real change in our communities.
0: Well, you know, Kitty, I, I find fundraising really hard and I'm not experienced in it. I have never worked full transparency. I've never worked for a nonprofit before. I've mm-hmm. never had any other experience in fundraising other than, you know, when I was in high school, like the football team would hold a fundraiser so that, you know, we could buy new equipment or something like that. But. Mm-hmm. In terms of myself, like fundraising for an organization, I, I had never done that up until earlier this year when I was trying to fundraise for the UTSA Giving Day, and then eventually a food bank monetary drive, um, and even a coat drive in 2020 for Haven for Hope. I had never been in charge of something like that. I'll be honest, it felt weird. It still feels weird asking people for money. It's a weird feeling because you know deep down that it's for the greater good, and I think once you can kind of like get past that obstacle, I think you're left with that, which is what you want to be left with, knowing that this is, hey, this is going for the greater good. Just asking people for money, it's an awkward feeling. Do you still get that? Or you have kind of gotten over that over the years?
1: You know, it's funny because sometimes I still do. Sometimes it's still a little like a little bit of trepidation. You know, it depends on what ask I'm making and who I'm making it of. I think that's. When you know that, you know, tr- truly you're a good fundraiser because you also understand that like anything can happen, right? You do your research, you, you make sure that all the ducks are in row and still something can happen. So there's, this is never a guaranteed field, right? There's no guarantees in this work, but what I can tell you is that I think it makes a lot of people feel uncomfortable. It's so funny that you say that because my m- own mom has no idea what I do. She can't really explain it to other people. So she tells people that I'm in sales. So I think that's really funny because I'm not at all <laughs> not sales in the least <laughs> but I think what I try to tell her and what I keep trying to tell people who are like oh you is that like sales it's like hey, you know no not really what it is is you're asking people for support so moving away from like can you give me this dollar to can I count on you for the support right and that's something that people can engage with they're like oh I can I totally understand why it's important that we have this space at UTSA for this and this and this, right? So putting it more onto the emotional side of things, the more qualitative aspects of an ask that makes someone want to engage with that idea, with that thing, you know, with that um, esoteric moment that everyone wants to have and they want to contribute, right? So I tell people like, you know, it's not really about selling something because if that was the case, you know, we would just all be selling knives and that would be weird <laughs> of you. But what I tried to tell people is like, don't focus so much on the amount, but focus on why you're making that ask. Why are you making it of them in particular? Like, are they a graduate of UTSA, right? Are they someone who really cares about food security in, in the world? Are they someone who really cares about making sure that? Uh, children have mentorship opportunities or that, you know, we're providing safe environments for families, right? We're trying to make sure that all of those things that make fundraising possible are part of what make people connected to their communities. So that's what I tell people when they're like, I'm, I'm nervous fundraising. Like, yeah, we all are because nobody likes to ask for money of someone, right? We all love our money. And what I ask, tell people a lot, it's like, you know, if, I'm, if I went up to someone and said, hey, can I have $7 or I can go ask somebody else, they'd be like, I can go ask people, things, But (laughs) if I say, can I have $7 to help support X, Y, Z? And then I kind of leave it at that. They're like, oh, I can absolutely see how that would be, that would create a huge impact in these areas. And I want to be aligned to that because I care about that because it's part of my lived experience and I understand this. Then they are more likely to engage. So, but I think what you did is great. You know, I think fundraising can take a variety of things. It doesn't always have to be money. It can also be time. It can be um, will you come volunteer with me? Right. Can you help me out with this supply drive? You know, it can be a variety of things that we're asking people to join us and supporting. Right. So I try to move away from everything being about money because it really isn't. I subscribe to this idea called community centric fundraising. It's a little bit of a different view than what fundraising has been in the past, which has been very focused on like donors. And we're still very focused on donors and what they want and what they need. But instead of it just being solely on what their ideals are we're really thinking about the community first and saying what does the community need most and some of the tenets of that is understanding that individuals who give their time their resources that might be um, contributing canned goods it might be contributing to, to a toy drive or to a coat drive or anything like that are just as important in this world as people who give major gifts and also understanding that individuals who give maybe a smaller amount but it's uh, relative to the amount of in- their income is, and it's what they can support, that's as much of a valuable gift to someone who's giving a very large sum. So it's, it's really a different way of understanding that we all have to work together, and we all have to give at least our 1% to be able to make this community work.
0: Well, I think one way that it is similar to being a salesperson <laughs> is that you probably have a process. Yes. I-, I didn't even think about something like that until, you know, I've gotten closer with, I call him my good friend now, Hugh, far from Big Brothers, Big Sisters. And, you know, he's kind of explained that to me and how the process is when you get to that ask. And obviously it's different for every donor or organization that you're approaching for that ask. But it was so interesting to me because I never thought about that. Like when I think of asking for money, I just think of reaching out to someone via call, via text and saying, hey, I'm hosting this drive. Can you donate five dollars? Can you donate 10? Can you donate a dollar? Like, that's what I think of. And that's what I did, right? Because it was, again, very inexperienced, very like just simple. I didn't think of a whole process. But then again, I'm asking for a small amount. Whereas I know sometimes the ask is like, hey, you're going to a big donor and you're asking for a big donation. Uh, But that's, I guess that's how it is similar to sales is that you do have a process to get to that final ask instead of final sale, like closing on the sale.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know, I think everyone looks at the fundraiser, fundraising process and field is a little bit squishy, you know, for lack of a better term. It's very emotional and very uh, touchy-feely. And it is a lot of that, right? There's also a huge amount of data that goes into what we do, right? It's understanding and, and seeing trends and using all those analytical skills to really tailor and ask, right? So it is something that is a respectable um, field of study, you know, I think right now we're really starting to see some very interesting moves and in figuring out what our long term impact as fundraisers are. I think it's been interesting to view the community centric lens rather than the donor centric lens. Not that they have to be in opposites of each other. We can have both of this happening at the same time, right? So I, for me, you know, what I will be sitting for hopefully in December is my CFRE, right, which is an additional layer that helps tell the world, like, yes, I'm actually a certified fundraiser, right? So I'm someone who understands all the law, all the IRS guidelines and tax restrictions and things like that, that you really need to know when you're talking to a donor. So it is quite an elaborate process. It takes a lot of planning, a lot of detailed work, because by the time you get someone to give that money, you've already gone through maybe 10 steps of cultivation, right? It's time consuming because you're building a relationship, you're building an engagement, you're you're making sure that someone sees the part of themselves in your mission, right? You're trying to get them to that point where they understand why this is so important, right? Um, So it's all these wonderful intangible things that take actually a lot of tangible details to get there. So yes, uh, fundraising is quite a fun pursuit. Like I said, it allows my creativity to soar while also keeping the analytical side of my brain very engaged. So it's always something new and different, but I really enjoy it because again, it allows me to connect with people in a very authentic way and allows me to just see their, their own altruism come alive for themselves. And that's always a really beautiful moment when they're like, Oh, I can do these things. Oh, I'm not stuck in this. Like how in the world can I ever make the world a better place? Like We can It's just slow progress, right? It's incremental. It gets there day by day, showing up for a community, owning our stories, being authentic with our lived experience, right? And then engaging in ways that are authentic to us. There are volunteer opportunities that just don't particularly aren't aligned with my particular interests, right? But there are hundreds of people that that might align with. So what I try to tell people, like, just find whatever drives you, find whatever makes you Like, I really want to go to this volunteer event. I really want to host this food drive. I really want to host this supply drive. I really want to show up for my community in this way and then do that. And I promise you, whatever nonprofit that is benefited by your activism and your passion is really going to love you and need you. Because I don't know a single nonprofit in San Antonio or anywhere for that matter that's turning down people who care about what they do and volunteer and want to volunteer their time and resources to be able to get that mission done, right? No one's going to turn you away. Just find something that you really love and care about. And it doesn't have to be 20 days out of the month. I think everyone has this idea like, oh, we have to do all of these things. Like, No, you can give like seven hours a month, which is 1% of your time throughout an entire year that you just donate back. And maybe it's not if you don't have the time. Like for me, because I work in the field, my time is pretty limited, right? I actually had to step back from a lot of responsibilities over this past year because my job was getting more and more robust and, and bigger, and we're just taking on more things as an agency. So I knew that I needed to invest my time if I wasn't going to be working back in myself by resting. But that doesn't mean that I've stopped my volunteerism entirely, right? I'm still involved with the Junior League of San Antonio, uh, which provides volunteer experiences. I'm still involved with the United Way. Right now, I moved from the Emerging Leaders Council side of things to Women United. So there's still a lot of ways that I'm giving back personally, and I encourage everyone, like, Whatever you can do, just give back, be active. And also, I love to see little kids at volunteer events. So I think families (laughs) volunteering together is some of the sweetest things I ever see, right? And it also teaches kids at the young age that they, too, have the power to invest in their community, even a six-year-old, right? It's something that's so sweet to see. And then they they live with that impact. It becomes this really fun family bonding moment. In San Antonio, there's a lot of uh, events focused around eating and drinking, which I love both of those things, right? But sometimes you just want to do something that's just giving back and you find the best people when you volunteer. This is a true story. I was volunteering for the junior league at the child bereavement center. Uh, This was a couple of years ago now. And I was peeling, I think, onions next to some lady next to me. And we started speaking to one another and I was explaining what I do. And she was like, Oh, and I, at the time I was a diff- at a different agency and she goes, I just joined the board for that organization. And that was the time I, I just had this really wonderful conversation with someone I didn't even know who was a board, going to be a board member at my agency, right? And I was like, oh, that's so great. And we were then able to have these authentic conversations around just what we loved in life. And it just felt so great and wonderful. So you meet the best people volunteering, you become the best version of yourself when you give back to your community live your story and show up authentically for everyone who helped, who is has benefited by your altruism.
0: Well, I'm, I'm curious to know, Kitty, did your parents ever have you volunteer when you were a kid? You know, were you like in NHS or Spanish NHS or something like that in high school that made you volunteer?
1: I was involved in everything.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, yes. and, and the reason I ask <laughs> yes, is because I, I think yeah. that's a good discussion to have. I think a lot of it is our experience from our upbringing, you know, did our parents kind of instill that of like, hey, we need to help our community. Hey, we need to make it a point to go and volunteer here and there, do this. Um, of course, in, in high school, if you were part of National Honor Society or Spanish National Honor Society, and I'm just speaking from experience, you know, you had your hours that you had to meet. And if you didn't grow up like that, if you didn't grow up having those experiences, uh, having to do those things, um, almost being forced, I know forced has like a negative connotation, but forced, you know, in quotations, yeah. to volunteer. I think you learn early on how simple it is to volunteer and that it doesn't take all your time and you might also experience a feeling of fulfillment. And so when you get into your career, no matter if you're young in your career or or experienced in your career, you kind of have normalized the experience of volunteering and it becomes easier for you because you kind of know where to go and know what to do and know what's expected. Whereas someone who doesn't grow up like that, they don't know where to start, where to volunteer, what that feels like, what that looks like, how much time it's going to take. And so I think that's really important that like you kind of alluded to it. You didn't mention it being part of your upbringing, but what you mentioned is volunteering as a family and Mm -hmm. making it like a family ordeal. And I think that's kind of what I'm getting at is the more we can make that a normal thing and encourage that. And the more we can maybe create more programs aside from just na- National Honor Society or Cub Scouts or Girl Scouts, you know, aside from just those things, if public schools can make it a point to where like every student is either, you know, required in, in a sense to volunteer, I think you'll see volunteerism. I don't know if that's a word, volunteerism, but if I, was, I think if you'll volunteerism see- Volunteerism is <laughs> very much I think you'll see more of that translate into those people's lives as they get older because of those experiences.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So a couple of things, and I love that you brought all of that up. So firstly, I didn't grow up with a family that, that overtly volunteered. I will say that. What I will say is that we were heavily involved in our church. And so I- although it was never like a volunteer opportunity, like what I handle now, it's part of my job, right? It was showing up for vacation Bible school, right? It was showing up and feeding people. It was all of that. that was kind of just part of my community when I was being raised. But it's funny because my mom said the same thing to me. She goes, like, we were never donors while you were growing up. We were never like volunteers while you were growing up. So I'm just curious about how this came about. And it's like, no, I watched you Um, As I grew up, when a neighbor needed something and you went and helped them with something, you know, um, I grew up on kind of a ranch farm type area. And so we grew up with just a lot of things. And so we always had trailers and always had all the equipment that all the neighbors needed. Right. So um, there was a little lady down the street that a a tree fell in her yard. You know, she's not necessarily going to have the means to go and hire someone to take care of that. But all the neighbors are going to come around and they're going to help out with that. So. A little bit of inadvertent volunteering, but yes, back to what I was saying. I was I was in NHS. I was I was involved in everything. I was a band <laughs> nerd. I I was the president of the National Heart Society. In fact, I was the president of Mu Alpha Theta. I did everything right growing up, and so yeah, I I just started giving back. I also just really cared about supporting my community and what I could do right, and it never it never felt weird to me to reach out and help. But as far as individuals who may not have grown up around that. What I do love is that even if you haven't grown up around that, it's always the first, you can always start doing that. And a lot of ways I like to see that is through um, corporations who incentivize giving, right? So if you're, if you're involved with USAA or Valero or Newstar or Rackspace or a Zachary or uh, Frost any Bank. Frost, yes, Frostbank, <laughs> <laughs> Frostbank, HEB, oh my gosh, HEB volunteers are great. If you're involved with any of those companies, they incentivize you to get out to the world and start volunteering. And I love that because it's an introduction to maybe a different way of thinking about things, maybe saying like, oh, these done in a day projects, which is like, like our little slang in the fundraising world of done in a day volunteer projects which is are things that you start and you're done. And then you see that and you see, oh my gosh, we got all of that done together. And that really lights a fire in people to say like, I can do this again. That was so much fun. It was so easy. I didn't have to go to work that day, even though I was with my colleagues all day, right? And it was just fun. But I also think, and this is something I try to challenge even my nonprofit colleagues in the nonprofit world, even though we are absolutely at bandwidth for almost everything, is that we need to rethink volunteerism. We need to rethink the fundraising process a bit Uh, because I think the way COVID has just totally changed everything, first of all. It's made everything that we've done traditionally not really as, as accessible as it used to be, right? So, But there are tons of ways that people can still engage. And I think this is where nonprofits, instead of continuing to try to do the same things, we need to be a little bit creative and innovative and really think outside the box on some things, right? One thing I love that United Way is doing is that they're having virtual readings for little kids, right? So you can actually read a storybook to a child in a classroom. And that's a great way to give back and it feels awesome, right? Um, there's tons of ways to give virtually and over volunteer. And even you can still do the traditional in-person volunteering at family service. We just hosted close to 30 St. Mary's students for freshmen, at our neighborhood place location, and they pulled weeds and they worked outside. Everyone was in a mask and stayed you know, six feet apart. And it was great, it was a wonderful event. But I think as far as what you're saying about getting involved in schools and really trying to assert ourselves, I think there's a multitude of way that not volunteers and families can be engaged in nonprofits. We just have to think, what's the kind of volunteer that we need and where are they going, right? Are they part of school systems, right? Do we need to start engaging in that? Do we need to rethink our processes of it to be a little bit more inclusive? There are some volunteer events that are just not accessible, right? There are individuals who will not be able to do those things. So we have to think about as a community, what are we doing to create inclusive, innovative, creative, thoughtful, and community-driven volunteer events? And I think when we can do that, but well, fundraisers are some of the smartest people I know, right? We always have to think about how we're read, vamping the process to make it more accessible, how to make it better, how to make it more impact-driven, mission-focused, all of these buzzwords that we'd like to use, but really what it comes down to, how are we engaging our community in the, in the best, most authentic way possible?
0: Yeah. I just think it needs to start at an earlier age, because I feel like when it does start at an earlier age, it's it becomes normalized. It becomes easier to understand that hey it does it just takes a couple hours of my time and again i'm obviously i'm pulling from personal experience i don't have the same personal experience as anyone else i have my own but speaking from that i mean that's why i I grew up seeing so similar to you i you know saw my mom she would take me and she'd say hey grab a friend or two and let's go to the soup kitchen and we're going to help and we're going to read to kids and we're going to hand out food and we're going to you know we're going to do whatever we can we're going to put sack lunches and go drive around downtown and hand out lunches. Like those are things that my mom had me do. So that's growing up, so that's growing up, mama too. <laughs> so growing up, that's something that I'm like, okay, that's what we do. That's what you do. That's what you should do. And that's giving back. And then fast forwarding to high school again. Now this had to do with the requirement of hours from something like Spanish National Honor Society or National Honor Society, but having to fill those hours. You know, here's your options of things you can do. And I was like, okay, well, trash, highway trash pickup doesn't sound too bad. Let's go do that, you know, and show up somewhere at seven in the morning and be out there for just two, two and a half hours and you're done. You're like, Hey, that wasn't so bad, you know? And then you grow again, you grow up thinking like, okay, that wasn't bad. Like now I know what to expect. And it only takes an hour and a half or two hours or two and a half hours. (laughs) And then fast forward. To my career, and of course, I worked at Frost Bank, which some of my listeners know, and I think you may or may not know, but that's why I gave them a shout out earlier (laughs) is because they started encouraging people to, you know, volunteer and and Mm -hmm. giving you paid time off to go volunteer, and that carried over. So instead of being like, well, I'm not sure what to do, what are my options? It's like, no, I kind of already knew a few things. And so I had already volunteered at the food bank before. I had done the warehouse, the sorting and organizing of at the San Antonio Food Bank. And so, of course, because I had done it before, it was like, oh, yeah, I'll go do that. Like, that was fun. They play music and you get to do it yeah. with friends or whoever, colleagues, and and it was fun. And then it becomes less of a a chore, you would say, right? Because some people think of it as like, oh, I don't know what to do. What is it going to feel like? Is it, you know, physical labor? Things like that. Well, if you do those things... And experience them, it'll become easier to do them later on. So right. I think you're right. I think it's a multitude of, it's all those things together, right? It's mm-hmm. it's the family doing it and encouraging their children to do it. It's the schools and organizations within the schools encouraging them to do it. And I honestly think that should expand outside of organizations. It should honestly be just a thing, like whether or not you're in an organization or not in high school, which you should, you should be encouraged to, but even if you're not, it should be some kind of, and again, I'm just picking out ideas here, but like the student with the most hours or with X amount of hours, you get this, this, and that, I don't know, something yeah. that's going to show them and give them that experience. And then as they get into their career, it's companies, all those companies you just mentioned, incentivizing the, the volunteer hours. So it's all those things working together. Right. And I right. think that's what will encourage more people to, to volunteer, to raise money, to donate and understand what it's going towards.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. And I think there are several organizations that do that, like the National Charity League is a great one in which daughters and mothers can volunteer alongside each other. And so they actually support family service. And so we have 10-year-olds coming in with their mother and they're able to sort things. And it's a great way to install that volunteerism right early on. But I also think, as far as building community to normalize it a bit, to bring children to volunteer events, and to also on nonprofits to make volunteer events that are more accessible for families and easy for families to engage in. I think there's numerous ways to do that. But what I will say is that if you're a young professional and you move to a new city and you don't know <laughs> anyone, um, like I was at one point in time for many many different cities, one of the best ways, authentic ways to uh, to network with individuals to figure out where you want to belong, volunteer. Go meet people at volunteer opportunities. Go meet people at these events like the Emerging Leaders Council where you're meeting other people who have just these wonderful careers and you're able to connect with them about connecting and supporting your community. And you're going to find some of the best people there, the most authentic relationships. It's not always about climbing the ladder, right? And we're not doing it for that sole purpose, but You want to have a network of people around you who care about community as much as you do. So I think if you're, especially if you're new to a city, I tell everyone, volunteer for everything that you can that's aligned with your passion and interest, right? But secondly, do everything. Like college students, this is for you. If you have an ability to do an internship, if you have the ability to work for a job that like helps you get further in life, if you have the ability to volunteer for a nonprofit or engage in some way, do that thing, right? There are so many ways that we can connect to each other as human beings, Uh, with our lived experiences, the things that make us who we innately are. And it all comes back to just like giving back just a little bit. So I think that normalization is really important and lots of other things. But, you know, I'm reminded by a quote by Kurt Vonnegut, who's one of my favorite authors. And I actually was listening to one of his commencement speeches yesterday, that there are going to be a lot of people who maybe get famous, right? Maybe they move to another city and they do something just really profound for the world, right? And those are going to be few and far between but far more people are going to live in communities and in neighborhoods and go to churches and go to local schools. And all of that connecting and making sure that we are focusing on our community, that is the most beautiful and joyous thing that we can do. And he says it so eloquently because he's obviously Kurt Vonnegut, right? And I'm not, but I think people forget that there is a beauty in just being part of the community, upholding our community values and giving back. And so I think if anyone can really do that, it's San Antonians, it's everyone, it's wherever you are, right? If it's not San Antonio, if it's Houston, Dallas, anywhere across the country, right? You can do it anywhere, but just be part of your community. I think everyone wants to go and be, I guess, I don't know Maybe you're going to make me sound old, the next TikTok influencer, right? And that's great. Maybe you can do that. If that's your calling in life, then do that thing, right? But I think more <laughs> likely than not, everyone's just going to work in you know, in management somewhere, and they're going to give back and they're going to be investors in their community, however way and whatever way they can. And the best way to do that is just by giving back as much as you can, as often as you can, and then building that community around each other.
0: What, I like that you bring that up, Katie, about the, the influencer example. and And I totally get what you mean. But you know what, that makes me think about how some people in their journey or their search to maybe not become famous but be recognized for for something they're doing sometimes what gets lost in that is the need to collaborate with like other people yeah. or other organizations to achieve whatever goal it is you're trying to achieve from that i think that can kind of lead us into a conversation you know about companies working companies and organizations or just people in general just working in that with that silo mentality um, mm. instead of collaborating for the greater good, for the greater goal. And that's something that even I've learned just by speaking with a lot of nonprofit leaders here in San Antonio, how important it is to work together with other organizations and with, whether it's nonprofit or for-profit to work together um, to achieve whatever goal it is that they're trying to achieve. But even myself, even though the podcast is not an organization, you know, it's, as far as like a nonprofit There are many things I want to do with this podcast. Some things I have done, you know, some of the donation drives, and there's things I want to do in the future. All of those things could totally be done by myself. Now, if I do that, it wouldn't be as great as it could be, right? I I guess if I work with other organizations or other people that are maybe doing similar things, well, then the results will be greater. And and a great example of that is both my parents were educators, and so educators hold a special place in my heart uh, that's why in my advising I see we job, all. god bless them <laughs> <laughs> that's why in my advising job I help a lot of educators a lot of teacher clients but that said you know one way I want to give back is I, I want to find a way to get teacher supplies and donate them to teachers for the school year right because that's definitely something they need I could totally try to come up with an event like that and raise my own supplies and try to put together an event where I give them all out but that would be doing a disservice, honestly, to the end user of that, because that's, that's me trying to put everything together. I might only be able to raise a little bit of money and, and gather a few supplies. But, well, if I reach out to people who have done it before, or maybe organizations that do it on a regular basis who have the experience doing it, Well, now we can come together to do it, right? And I can use the podcast platform to promote it and they can use their experience to put the event on. And maybe, you know, this organization over here has the reach to all the schools to get the people to come out and actually use the supplies. So now you're like working together and now you've created a great event and you've, and you've really given back. And that's just kind of an example. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm kind of like giving a teaser to what we're going to be doing in the spring. I'm actually working with a uh, the Scooby Van of San Antonio and a, a couple other organizations that we're going to be doing something like that. But I, I bring that oh. up because it's a very good point. As much as I would enjoy, I guess, being recognized for that, and that's great. No, like the point is to really give as much back as we can to these teachers. And the best way to do that is to work with people who are already trying to do that too. You know, and I think we see that in organizations, especially nonprofits. So I want to ask you, with your experience, do you see a lot of collaboration or could there be more?
1: Yes. So yes, to both. Um, (laughs) So yes, there can always, we are highly collaborative field, right? We have to work together with other nonprofits to be able to further our community, right? Like COVID, what I try to explain to people, I feel like the most um, poignant way I can place, what COVID has done to our community is kind of like a tsunami wave, right? So, you know, when a tsunami wave hits, right, first it pulls back. And so you've had everything that was on the seafloor exposed. And I think that's really what COVID's done. It has exposed that there were so many families living on the edge, right? There were so many uh, communities that just were disenfranchised and marginalized that are not getting the assistance that they've ever needed. And then COVID hit and we just saw all of that pullback and we saw how fragile our safety net is. And then it has just come cr- crashing back within a multitude of ways, right? We're trying to rebuild. We're trying to recover. I'm not trying to play- paint a landscape of gloom and doom. That's not what I'm doing. But I am trying to point out about what we need more collaboration Family service works with over 200 agencies. We couldn't do what we do without the strength of service for nonprofits. But you know what? 80% of nonprofits in Bear County have less than 10 people on staff. So a lot of our nonprofits are really small, but they're serving maybe marginalized communities, right? They're very specialized, and we need all of those specializations. We need all of those different areas. We need uh, nonprofits that are focused on the east side because they're going to have the knowledge that comes with being on the East side, right? They're going to have, we need nonprofits that work on the West side because we, we need to know exactly what those communities need on the West side. And so when we work together, we get all of those lived experiences. We're able to create solutions that better serve our communities. And then our donors can know that when we actually talk about impact, we're really actually trying to do something, right? We are addressing these needs as the community has told us. And then we're also aligning them to what's going to further them for the future. So I think collaboration can look like a variety of things, right? It can be agencies working with other agencies. It can be individuals like yourself organizing wonderful food drives and, and drives to support the community, right? So collaboration can mean a variety of things, but you're absolutely right. We, when we work hand in hand with others, our strength is combined. Um, my CEO, Mary, I'm sure she'll talk about this during her interview. She always has this metaphor and it really stuck with me when, it, when she first told me, she goes, you know, stretch your arms out as far as they go. That's only maybe if you're as tall as I am, I think your wingspan is as tall as you are height. That's only about five nine, right? So that's pretty far. But when you grab on with someone else who also has their arms stretched out, suddenly you're 12 feet long. And so it's a really nice metaphor for thinking about what our power is when we're connected with other people and reaching out as far as we can. So my encouragement is like, you know, before starting something on your own, this is what advice I try to give everyone, before doing something on your own, go look and see what already exists. Because- likely someone's already doing that. Oh, and or at least something
0: similar. Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
1: That- so maybe it's um, going on United Way's website and saying, you know, I really want to help with school supplies. I really want to help with mentorship. I really, like my, one of my favorite things uh, as far as the junior league, they have a placement, which is like a volunteer placement uh, with girls on the run, right? Which I almost did until I hurt my ankle, but it was a great way to get some exercise and also help the program. Right. So go and look at what already exists and then connect with those individuals. San Antonio is so great because we are the biggest small town. Blankly, <laughs> you know someone who's doing something that's really amazing.
0: I know you brought up COVID just a minute ago and I think you're absolutely right. I think you know it exacerbated a lot of issues that were already there and kind of made absolutely. them more apparent and, and even larger in some cases. But I also think it showed people how important it is to, to give back. It gave people the opportunity to do that. I don't know. Again, I don't have any experience working for a nonprofit, so I don't know what the numbers say. I don't know what the statistics say, but it seems like more people are aware of the issues at hand and more people are maybe donating either money or time. I don't know. Maybe that's not true. Maybe it just seems that way, but it seems like it. And it's one of those things where in a time of crisis, People typically have the, the sense of like, I need to do something. I need to help out in some kind of way. And it just seems like we've been in a time of crisis for the last like two years. But
1: You know, I think it's funny that you say that because, yes, people, there are donors who give in times of crisis um, and, they, and they love to jump forward. Every, it's such a wonderful human attribute that we love to help one another when times get tough, right? We want to jump forward. Everyone wants to pull the ship in. But we are experiencing a little bit of fatigue. And I think that's only natural, given that we are all been under this huge amount of existential stress with the pandemic and trying to figure out how to school our children from home while also trying to work from home. Uh, We're trying to figure out how we're going to take care of our families. We're trying to figure out if if some people lost their job, how we're going to find gainful employment and how we're going to deal with all these new stresses in our lives, right? So I think is a couple different things, you know. We have to push forward with the mindset that we are all trying the best we can to show up every day as best as possible. Like we are trying to do that, and we are seeing an increased amount of giving in San Antonio alone. Like for Family Service, what I can speak to with our COVID numbers, we saw an 800% increase for our need for emergency pantry services. So if it's going to be um, maybe rent assistant, utility assistant, it's going to assistance we're going to need. Some people are going to need diapers, wipes, formula, all of that just coming to us and saying, I need help right now. And that, that increase was 800% over the last year, which is just astronomical when you think about how much of that we do every day anyway. So again, I think it's understanding that we're far, this is far from over, but what I think we have to as a society, as volunteers, as donors, as people who work and give in our community, that we have to adjust to the world as it is right now. And we're always going to have to figure out, you know, how are we going to pivot? How are we going to go forward? What's it going to mean for us tomorrow? But the best thing we can do is just show up and keep showing up. And that means that some of us are going to have to pull back because we're going to have to focus on our families a little bit more and figure out what we're doing with our works. And I totally respect everyone for that time of life. But I think those who can give more, those who are doing okay, those who do have the emotional and mental bandwidth to give more should lean more into that right and let's all work together to just keep each other like i said earlier like the extending our arms like if we see someone start to fall let's reach out and just hold on stronger to them if you have the ability because i know from my own lived experience when you do that and invest in the community the community comes back and invest in you
0: well katie i like to end the podcast on a light note and i think Mm -hmm. this whole podcast has been pretty light but Typically I do that by discussing some favorite places around town with the guest. Yes. So that's
1: what I'm, I'm going to so need from
0: weird. you is, you know, where, okay. where are your favorite places around San Antonio? Where do you like hanging
1: out? Oh man. <laughs> so I live, I have to say I live downtown. So I live with like in a little bitty like circle. And so it's funny because sometimes we like get out to like the 1604 range. Wow. This is a really cool area out here. But I think, you know, obviously you live, Pretty close to downtown. I think there's so many cool places. There's El Camino, which just opened up near the Riverwalk. I think that's a super cool place that's new and I've been coming. Lots so of obviously the McNay is a beautiful spot if you want a Sunday afternoon walk. The Witty is super close, and you can pop over and get. So I love black and I love ice cream. And there's Black and White Creamery, I think is the name of it. But it is so good. And then next door, also a new restaurant, the Hayden. Sorry, like you asked me about all these restaurants and all of a sudden it's like all popping <laughs> into my head, like places to be downtown. There's that. There's just fantastic amount of cocktails. Of course, the Pearl has all these wonderful chefs. San Antonio has some best eats, right? Some of my favorite spots, like if I'm getting really good Mexican food, I'm going to go to Carmelita's on Broadway. I feel like that's going to cause a lot of contention with a lot of people. So sorry (laughs) if that offended you, if that's not your place of choice, but that's my favorite place. I really like it. And then if I'm going to get a drink, man, I really love um, the Hotel Emma. It's such a beautiful space and I love to just stare at all the architecture. If I'm going like American, I'm going to go to Cured, right? Which is the Pearl. No, no other Pearl shop. Please get mad at me for saying that. I love all of you very much. And I want to, <laughs> I support all of you. But I really think, you know, some of the best places, especially downtown, you can just bike to, you can bike to the zoo. You can bike, if you want to just have a picnic, go to Brackenridge. you know, there's tons of stuff to do downtown. So I encourage anyone who maybe lives outside, maybe in the Fortin or or Sioux area, just come down here one Saturday get a really nice brunch at uh, maybe candlelight cafe, which is right down the street from me. Maybe it's Tycoon flats. Maybe it's demos. Maybe you can stop into little death and get a glass of wine. And um, that's and some oysters on Tuesday. I think you can just do so much, but I think everyone should just be tourists in their own city, rent a bike, go run around and just go eat and drink. There's so many cool things to do in San Antonio. We're only getting stronger. I'm only seeing better shops. I'm only seeing cooler things to see and do so keep coming down here, keep supporting local institutions, eat, drink and source your stuff locally. We have so many women owned businesses in downtown San Antonio. So go and buy your Christmas gifts from them. Go and support your local chefs, go and support your local community, go to local theater as much as you feel comfortable to do so. Support everything local as much as possible because San Antonio has so much to give. And when you invest in it, it comes back and invests back in you.
0: Well, Katie, I appreciate you coming on to Essay Talk and and talking with me about volunteering and how we can increase the normalization of volunteering and, you know, the difficulties of fundraising, but why it's important. I really enjoyed our conversation. Before I let you go, I want to make sure you kind of plug in um, any events coming up, any of your social media accounts that you want the listeners to follow, including family service. Uh, So definitely plug in. This is This is your time right now.
1: Oh, terrific. I love this. Okay. So definitely go follow um, my organization at Family Service SA. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So please go follow us there. We'd love to have y'all more involved in what we're doing. Um, as far as like people I love, you know, there are a ton of just micro influencers. Please go follow like Foods Modern. Uh, you can follow Ultravis, which is one of my favorite shops here in town. Just like cool things happening, right? But then I also, want to plug our thankful gala, which is happening in November. It's all outdoors, So it should be, it's still in person. And I'm very excited about it. That's a farm to table gala. Love the vibe of it. It's going to be so cool. We're going to have a really light band, great eats that comes with a cheese and charcuterie table. That's like six feet long. So I think that's enough to get people really excited about what's going on. And then, of course, we have lots of events coming up in the fall. There's going to be a wine walk at Alamo Quarry Market. There's going to be Winter Fest with Alamo Quarry Market that we work with them as um, partners. So there's just a lot coming up. And what I also love about San Antonio, you can always eat and drink for a good cause around here. So if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably following SA Talk with me. So you can go follow <laughs> yours like <laughs> that. And then, you know, just invest locally whenever possible and give back whenever you can.
0: I think what what you did differently there, which I actually really enjoyed is you, you plugged in other people's social media accounts. I yeah, love that. I, I, I haven't I, had anybody do that before, but I mean, <laughs> shout out, especially Felice Modern. I know I'm going to have Ginger pretty soon on the podcast. So that's going to be awesome. But yeah, I, so I really like that. That was, that was cool.
1: <laughs> I'm a big proponent, you know, I have to say that I send some of the best little care packages. So I'm not from Texas originally. I have a lot of family and friends that are just around the country and around the world. And I always go to all these small shops and fill their little baskets that I send to them with all these cute local things that like no one else has. And I get these calls like, where did you find this? It's like, I found it at my local women-owned business. And it's just fun. I think San Antonio, you can do that. You can get to know the proprietors, you can engage with them. There's so many other cool things happening. So shop local, eat local, be lo- be a local. That's, that's what I tell people.
0: Well, thank you again, Katie. It was definitely a pleasure speaking with you today.
1: It was great to talk to you too.
0: So that wraps up my conversation with Katie White. I'm going to take a quick ad break and then we will be right back with our local recommendation of the week starring San Antonio's own essay lunch door. He's back, so you won't want to miss it. And I'll also be asking my question of the week for essay talk. So stay tuned. Hey, guys, it's Zach. As some of you may know, I help people plan for retirement. And as your advisor, I can not only show you how money truly works, but put you in control of your money today and in retirement. If you're looking to schedule a financial review, please give me a call at 210-760-0409. Welcome back into Essay Talk. I just want to say thank you again to Katie for joining me on this week's episode of Essay Talk. I really enjoyed our discussion and a lot of the points she made in regard to how simple it actually can be to get out there, volunteer, and give back to your own community. Like we said multiple times throughout our discussion, it really is easier than you probably think to give some of your time to volunteer. Now, of course, you can also give money and giving money is great. If you ask any nonprofit, any nonprofit leader, in fact, you've heard me ask this question, you'll know that they'll take money at any turn, right? That that they're a nonprofit. And if you have the budget to do so, I would definitely do it. But if you don't have the budget, you might have the time and you should definitely, at the very least, give that. These amazing organizations here in San Antonio more than deserve it. And speaking of those amazing nonprofit organizations, I'm really looking forward to interviewing her boss, Mary Gar, the CEO of Family Service, to learn more about their nonprofit. But of course, we'll save that for an episode of Searching for San Antonio later this year. As we get to this week's local recommendation, we have Essay Lunchador back in the saddle again to give his recommendation of the week. So here he is.
2: Hey there, y'all. It's Essay Lunchador again with the weekly Essay Talk podcast food recommendation. Today, I'm gonna class it up a little bit by recommending a sushi spot called Shiro in downtown San Antonio. You can find it at 107 West Jones Street right in front of the San Antonio Art Museum. However, before I do get y'all too excited about this place, I must say, parking can be a bit of a nuisance around there because there's only that one street. So just make sure you take that into consideration if you do make reservations there. All that aside though, the reason I'm recommending this place is because it's probably got some of the best sushi I've had in San Antonio by far. Now probably one of the reasons that their fish is so good is because they actually source it directly from Japan. So you can definitely taste that distinct freshness and quality that you just can't get anywhere else. That being said though, it isn't the most expensive place I've ever been to, but do try to come around with about a hundred-ish dollars to have a good time for two people. But if I'm not mistaken, they do also have happy hour all day on Sunday and Tuesday, but don't quote me on it. So just be sure to check up on their social medias exactly when the dates are just to be safe. Now, I don't have a specific roll that I'd recommend because honestly, they're all pretty good in their own merit, and I know people have different tastes. But the thing that I would say that you have to try out is the Chef's Special Sashimi Selection. It's at market price, but what I paid for it when I went was around $85, $90, so do expect to pay around that. But with that high price comes really great selection of sashimi, And with the one that I got, I can't even remember exactly what I got on it, but I know there was quite a numerous amount of cuts from tuna to mackerel, yellowtail, salmon. We even got uni, wagyu cuts. Honestly, I can't even remember exactly what we got on there, but I can tell you it was some of the best sushi I've ever had in San Antonio. That's for sure. Also, I don't really ever talk about the environment, but the vibe is just so great there. It's almost like a take on japanese city pop vibes but it's great if you're definitely into that type of thing i would highly recommend you check it out anyways i could keep rambling on about this place but honestly you just need to check it out if you're a sushi lover in san antonio but that's going to do it for me today again for those who actually like my recommendations keep checking me out on tiktok and on instagram at sa lunchador. that's s-a-l-u-n-c-h-a-d-o-r back to you zach
0: And thank you, S.A. Lunchador, for that great local recommendation. Be sure to follow the Masked Foodie on Instagram, at S.A. Lunchador, or find him on TikTok by searching for S.A. Lunchador on TikTok. Moving on to the question of the week, since we're talking about volunteering in this episode, and we had a great discussion, of course, Katie White and I, I would like to know, what are your favorite volunteer opportunities in San Antonio? If you want to answer on Facebook, look for the question of the week post and comment below. On Instagram, of course, everything is posted all in one, so you can comment below on that. If you want to answer on Twitter, you can also, similar to Facebook, find the question of the week post, or just simply answer, tag us, and use hashtag EssayTalk.com answers. I'm really interested in seeing what your favorite volunteer opportunities are. I know I've done a few and I've talked about them. Uh, I've probably said this a million times now, but I really like doing the warehouse sorting there at the food bank. It's really cool. If you haven't tried it yet, it's about an hour and a half to two hours long. You get to do it with friends, your colleagues, whoever you want to bring. You show up. It's not a lot of hard, hard labor. Uh, They play music while you're doing it. It's a lot of fun. Definitely worth it. I would definitely try that out. I know my girlfriend, Amanda, has had a lot of fun doing the community garden there at the San Antonio Food Bank. Doing that, you also get to see some animals. So if you're into animals or gardening, you wanna try something out like that, uh, definitely give that. I'm sure that'll be a little more popular when the weather gets nicer, but they do usually have that scheduled in the morning. So if you do decide to do that when it's hotter outside, at least it's the morning, right? So it won't be scorching hot like it is in the afternoon. So like I said, I'm interested in hearing all of your volunteer recommendations here in San Antonio. But with that said, that is going to wrap up another episode of Essay Talk. I want to give a huge thank you to all the repeat listeners. It means so much to me, guys, that you all keep listening to this episode, sharing it, And I'm glad you're enjoying the content that I put out. I also want to thank any new listeners checking out Essay Talk for the very first time. If you enjoyed this episode and Essay Talk in general, I would encourage you to check out my other series, Searching for San Antonio. As you probably know now, you can subscribe separately or together to both series. If you want to help the podcast out, please give a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. That always helps us out. Lastly, if you have any business owners you know that are looking to advertise with a great local podcast, please reach out to me at Zachary at sapodnetwork.com. That's Zachary, Z-A-C-H-A-R-Y at sapodnetwork.com. Thank you all again. Be sure to follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Network. Have a wonderful weekend. See you again next week. And viva San Antonio.